Well, we have been in Genesis this um, semester, and tonight we're in Genesis chapter 11. Maybe a familiar story to you, at least one that you've heard about. Um, Maybe in some ways obscure to you, I don't know. But uh, the story of the Tower of Babel. So we're going to read here just the first nine verses uh, of Genesis chapter 11. So let's read this together. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And then they said, let come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the the earth. And from there the Lord dispersed them over all the face of the earth. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. This is God's word for us tonight. I don't know if you've ever been uh, to a big city before, but I'll never forget uh, the one and only time I went to New York City. And I, I probably knew this was true, but until I was actually in the middle of the city and beheld it for the first time, I didn't really realize it. That it, there's something of an awe that came over me as I stood there with all these tall buildings all around me. There was just, it, it was almost like looking at a gorgeous sunset or looking at a mountain range. It had the same effect that feeling of being in a big city, it really was, um, it was, it was an awe-inspiring experience, I remember. And I don't know if you ever thought about this, but the more I thought about it, the more I, I probably realized I already knew this, but just hadn't put much thought to it. But the idea of city is actually a very prominent image and theme throughout the whole entire Bible. Just to trace a few things. Um, Eden. That Adam and Eve, the garden that Adam and Eve were placed in when they were created. In a sense, Eden was the original city, the paradise of God. Um, it's the place where uh, Adam and Eve were created and, and, and called to go out and uh, exercise dominion and to fill the whole earth from there. Uh, when they sin, they're exiled, they're cast out. Of that garden city, as it were. We read in Genesis chapter 4 when Cain sins and when he is judged and exiled, he goes and he builds a city. And from his line comes craftsmen and artists and different things like that. When Israel, when you read through the story of the Old Testament, Israel delivered out of Egypt, out of slavery, God takes them to the promised land where they will what? Build a city. Jerusalem, where the temple of God will be, and that Jerusalem, that earthly Jerusalem, would be the typological Zion, city of our God that we would see in eternity. And sure enough, at the end of the Bible, John, he looks and he sees the new heavens and the new earth, and what does he see that is true of the new heavens and new earth? The city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven onto the earth. I'd offer to you that it's not any coincidence that 
This story is told here at Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapters, I don't think I've used this word, this term yet, but Genesis chapter 1 through 11 uh, is what is commonly referred to as the primeval history. It's that section of history that God wants to give us before we get to the call of Abraham. And this is so this is like the segue of the story uh, of Genesis thus far to the story of the patriarchs beginning with Abraham in chapter 12. And so it in part kind of just serves to tell us how did the world that Abraham lived in come to be the way that it was after the flood. So in part it serves that, but there's also what we're going to see deeper connections of this story with the story that's about to unfold within the rest of Scripture. And what I would offer to you is still being fulfilled today. So three things I want to look at here. The quest for the city, the problem with the city, and the redemption of the city. First one is the quest for the city, this drive for the city that these people say to themselves, let us build for ourselves a city. And I'm borrowing liberally here from Tim Keller. Tim Keller is an author, but also a pastor. He's been a pastor in New York City, which is like the city, right, of America. Um, and so he knows a lot about big cities and he's thought about it. So I'm stealing some things that he says here about the quest for the city. But think about this. Where does this desire, where does this determination, why do these people come together and say to themselves, let us build, a, build ourselves a city? Where does this drive come from? Well, Keller notes a couple of aspects. You look there at verse 4. The first is the social aspect. They don't want to be spread out. They don't want to be separated from each other. So come, let's come together and build a city so we can be together. So we won't be dispersed. Okay, We want to amass our collective power. That also leads to a second aspect, the technological aspect. That being together, they do have some abilities. God even alludes to it later on. That they have a, that together they have this power to do the things that they determine to do. And one of these is to build a city and also build this tower, right? So you've got the technological aspect of it. But then there's also the spiritual dimension. They want to build this tower in the city explicitly for the purpose to reach into the heavens. So this is like the prototype, if you've learned in geology, not geology, history, I don't know, um, one of those subjects you learned in school. Um, the, it's the prototype of the ziggurat, right? Um, that these ancient cities would build these great tall temples, and the idea was that they, they stretched to where you met the gods in the heavens. And so there's definitely the spiritual aspect there for these people as well. Now just take those three on face value uh, for a second. Uh, the social aspect, the technological aspect, and the spiritual aspect. The de- if you think about it, the desire to be a city builder, the desire to be a city dweller, to come together and do these things, in a sense, it's actually intrinsic to our humanity. The social aspect, right? We've talked about this. We are created in the image of God. And to live, to experience the full potential of bearing the image of God in this world, you cannot do it in isolation. You cannot do it alone. We were made for relationship. And God explicitly gave that command to Adam and Eve, right? To multiply and to fill the earth. In other words, God gave them the command to occupy space together. So that social drive is actually something they were created with. The technological aspect, right? Adam and Eve were told to exercise dominion over creation. And they were given faculty, the God-given faculties to do that. And so, again, they're using something intrinsic to their humanity of bearing the image of God. And then the spiritual aspect, the original city, as it were, the Garden of Eden, Eden, the central aspect of that city was God's presence, that he was there, that they communed with him, that they even walked with him, uh, the, the implication, right? 
And it was there that they were to grow up in relationship with him. So the builders of Genesis 11 are responding to what's inherent to their humanity. Right? Um, and throughout the rest of Scripture, we'll, you'll, you'll see this theme or the imagery of cities signifying these very things. And you can also think about it, historically speaking, we can see it the same way as well. The social aspect, right? The city is where it's at. Where does Michael Scott always want to go when he wants to have a good time? He wants to go up to the city and he wants Jim to go with him, right? His office, is the office too old to make? A little shade. All right, good. All right. Um, he always wants to go up to the city and hang out with, uh, oh, why am I forgetting Temp's name? What's Temp? Yeah, yeah, there you go. Anyway, the city's where it's at. But also think about this. Cities are places of refuge. You think about industrialization. Where did people, when people needed jobs, where did they go? They went to the city. And to think about, but think about this aspect. Why is it that cities are the places with the highest concentrations of minorities or homeless or uh, single parent households or immigrants, right? Because there's this aspect of cities still in modern times that cities are a place of refuge. You take the technological aspect. Cities are where technology advances the fastest, right? Um, Cities are historically the centers of human development. Uh, We also know this theologically, right? Because it's in community that you tap into your, your greatest potential, because uh, how we're created. Uh, because ideally, at least, it's in community that you're surrounded by people different than you, which is a healthy thing, right? But also, at the same time, you get when, the more you're around more people, the more you're around people that are like you. And so you actually have to dig a little deeper within yourself to stand out and to advance and to achieve. And so the city becomes this place of restless creativity. And then spiritually, I think this is dead on. And we'll actually hit on this a little bit more in a second. But every city has, in some sense, spiritual longing at the center of it. Every city does. Because in the city, you can't just believe this is all there is. Because you're always compelled to the next thing. And so there's a sense of longing for the ultimate. And so you're always longing to achieve it. In the city, you can't just believe or hold something, hold to something because everyone else does. Because everyone else doesn't do that in the city. Cities are diverse Places. If you think about it, why is it that people away from cities tend to be more conservative, whether politically or however you want to think of that? I would suggest to you, because it's away from the city, that it's easier for everyone to fall in line. But in the city, you can't. This quest for the city I'm offering to you, in a sense, you can see how there's a drive for it in all of us. Now, before we move on, this is what fascinates me, this connection. This is why I make the connection. With everything I've just said, could you not say that the same things are true at a university? The same things are true. In a sense, universities are many cities. Actually, I think we still hold our own zip code, right? Mississippi State, Mississippi. I think they're trying to fix that for census and tax reasons, but it's fine. Um, but think about the social aspect. All of you are coming. I, yeah, all of you are coming from some background that was smaller than this campus, Right? And so you flee to places of refuge. For some of you, that's the classroom. But for most of you, it's some sort of social, social place to belong. All of you, there's this drive. You know, I talked to a lot of y'all about what your freshman year experience was like. If it was anything like my freshman experience here, you feel kind of lost. It's exciting. It's new. But you feel kind of lost because you don't know where you belong. Some of you will go Greek, and that's where you're going to find your immediate social, uh, your social outlet, because mainly because it happens right at the beginning of the semester, right? Some of you have found that here. 
Your main place where you find friends and people to hang out with is here or wherever else. Any other extracurricular activity, student organization. Development, right? The university is a place that is going to spur you on into growth and development. Why? There's things like GA and ranking systems and scholarships that you got to keep up. And you're always, there's always somebody that has more than you or that's better than you. And so you're always having to propel yourself further. Everything in this place is about how you measure up. And then spiritually, right? College is the time of your life because it's the first time for most of you that for the first time in your life, you're having to stop and say, why do I believe the things I believe? What am I going to stand for? What am I going to strive for? And you're getting to do that on your own. So there's a sense in which I think we can offer, especially in the setting of, that we're in, the college campus, right? That the city and the quest for the city to be city builders, that's within all of us. But here's the question. What's the problem? What's the problem here? That's the second thing. What was the problem here? And again, it's in here in verse 5. Why did they determine to build? The ultimate reason they determined to build, they say in verse 4, is to make a name. That's where it goes wrong. Let us make a name for ourselves. And again, this is like the second time this semester. That intro question fit really well with this, but we didn't plan that. But anyway, um, would you rather be famous now or later? Anyway, that's the drive within them. So it's not their desires or capabilities by themselves that are bad necessarily. It's that the ultimate desire of their heart is to make a name. And the ultimate desire of their heart is to make a name for themselves. That's the problem here. And again, this takes us all the way back to Genesis 3. God created us to be known. He created us to multiply, to fill the earth together, to exercise dominion together, to live, to laugh, to love, and to grow. But at the heart of the fall, and what we see again now is continuing in Genesis 11 and will continue into the history of the world from here, is the desire within man's heart to do all of those things in and of himself without any reference to the one who made him. That's the problem here. That their desire is to do this in and of themselves instead of in and of the one who made them for himself. I don't know if you've watched the movie Moana, but it's amazing. And I've probably, I maybe not haven't watched it a hundred times, but I've at least listened to the whole movie a thousand times because that's what my son and daughter listen to in the car all the time. But I love the main track. It's so good. Y'all got to watch it. We should have a movie night. Um, my kids can come. But the main track, she says, she sings this. Every turn I take, every trail I track, every path I make, every road leads back to the place I know where I cannot go, though I long to be. You're welcome for not singing it to you. All right. Here it is. We are all born... And we all know within ourselves the desire to make a name. We're born with this. We all have this desire. We desire to know that we are valued, to know that we have purpose, to know that we have dignity, to know that we have hope. These are all things that we were created with and for. But because of sin, the problem is we don't know who we are. And so we spend our lives trying to make a name, trying to get a name. And so we will run to city after city, metaphorically, to get a name. 
This is what they were doing here. These city builders were dealing with this kind of existential exile that we are all born into. That we don't know who we are and that we've got to get a name. That we all have this longing to go to the place where we cannot go. Right? And God actually, remember Genesis 3, God himself promised to deal with that existential exile through the promise of one who would come. And so this kind of clues us in as to why God comes down in judgment to them. Because what they're showing in building the city in the way that they build it is that they don't trust that promise. And so they want to make a name for themselves. And so they want to seek their own restoration by their own work. And so they build a city. But the problem with the city that they build is it's an idolization of themselves. They take what comes naturally in our hearts to be city builders, the city of man, but they actually make a temple to man. Let's build a tower that stretches to the heavens, but that's not a temple to a God. It's to themselves. But we think to ourselves, look, we don't build temples anymore. And this is what's great. Because I have a great analogy. Because we live in a city, metaphorically, a university. And guess what? We have a city. Where is it? I mean, sorry, we have a temple. We're in SEC school. We have a temple. Where is it? Right there, right? Every SEC school has their temple. And it's that thing that they spend millions and millions and millions of dollars on. And I love it. And I will be there every Saturday that I can. It's fine. But, but think about it. Think about other cities. What is the temple? What is the spiritual longing of somewhere like Washington? Where is, what is the temple of Washington, D.C.? It's the White House. Why? Because the most powerful in the man, man or woman in the world, gets to live there. The temple of D.C. is power. What is the temple of New York City? There's tons of different things in New York City. But I would offer you one main one. Wall Street. Money. New York is where you go to make your fortune. It's been that way for a long time. Hollywood. You go to Hollywood. Actually, it fits the passage. To make a name. To get the fame. How do we know that Hollywood has a temple like that, that Hollywood is like that? Because they put their name on a hill over their city, lest they forget where they were, I guess. I don't know. Here's a more serious example, and one I think a lot of us probably should think about. This maybe helps us understand why people get really offended by Confederate monuments in the south, southern cities. Because those are temples to what we hold dear. And some people, it really bothers them. And we should understand that. So the question is, what name are you seeking? And where are you running to get it? What name are you seeking? Again, this kind of city that we live in, the college campus, a lot of you are, make, are striving for the name of achievement. So you'll run to the classroom, you'll run to your studies, you'll run to every extracurricular student organization, whatever, that helps you build that Ladder to achievement. Some of you want the name of fun, and so you will run to any and every party that you can without missing a beat. Some of you want to build the name that you don't care. You know, you just don't care. And what you don't realize is that's actually a name in and of itself. You care about being the guy that doesn't care. Some of you want the name loved, and so you run from relationship to relationship, friendship to friendship, wondering why you hadn't found it yet. Here's the thing, every city or university I would offer you seductively promises that if you come to it and worship its God, then you'll be somebody. Then you'll get a name. 
You'll have a name, sure, but it'll be just like these people here. It'll be a name like Babel. They strive for a great name and they get one, but it's not a great name. It's an inglorious one. It literally means mixed up. It's a great way to go down in history, right? The mixed up people. The builders of Babel were striving toward a man-made Sabbath rest to find an end to all their ceaseless striving. And here's the thing about what happens with them. They do get to cease from their labors. But it is a deep emptiness. It's an incomplete ceasing from their labors. It's a restless, unfulfilled secession defined by failure. And here's the thing. If you're honest... What you'll realize about your life is that's the haunting specter that follows you all around this campus. Whether it's to the classroom, whether it's to the next party, whether it's the next morning after. And you wonder, will it ever end? Will I ever get a name? This leads us to the last thing here, the redemption of the city. And so we read, it doesn't really, it doesn't seem hard, doesn't seem like God's angry or anything, but we, we get that what he ends up doing, he doesn't like what they're doing. But we read there in verse 5, so the Lord came down. And there's something I think is interesting you'll notice. If you read back through Genesis 1 through 11 on your own, you'll see that every time, after Genesis 3, every time God is the subject, he's doing something in judgment. It's kind of a heartbreaking part of the story. But once again... We've seen this multiple times now. Once again, even in his judgment, he is loving and gracious. Look at verse 6. He says, this is only the beginning of what they will do. And you read that from face value and you're like, man, well, God just doesn't want them to reach their full potential. That's kind of what it reads like, right? But no, think about it. This is only the beginning of what they'll do. They were building a monument to themselves. In rejection of God, meaning God is saying, if I don't disperse them, they will continue in their unified opposition of me. And it will lead to their eternal damnation. I hope you see the beauty in that. That I'm judging them. One, because they're not dispersing. They're not filling the earth like I commanded. But if I let them stay here, they will dig their own eternal grave. And so he mixes them up. He disperses them. And so what he's saying is that if you strive to make your own name, what you're, all you're going to do is you're just going to end up isolating yourself. You're not going to have any harmony. You're not going to find any love, any peace. And so, yes, it's judgment, yes, but it's gracious judgment in that it will end up driving them out into the world to multiply and fill it the way that God intended And what's interesting, and this is where we get into why this is the segue into the rest of the book and what we'll be looking at after the break. We will have RUF next week. Uh, I forgot to say that before I started. So our own, where are you, Ward? Ward's going to be preaching, so you come out for that. It's going to be awesome. Um, Sorry, I want to say that. But after the break, we'll be picking up back Genesis. This is the segue because in the very next chapter, Genesis chapter 12, this is what's interesting is that we're told that God comes down and he comes to a man named Abram. And this is the main thing that he says to him. Leave your city. Go to a land that I will show you. And a city that I will give you. 
That's the segue here. I'm going to show you another city, Abram. And in direct contrast to this story, this is what I think is fascinating. In direct contrast to this story, what God tells Abram in the very next chapter is I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. And I will make your name great. I will make your name great. And here we are. Think about it. Here we are. Thousands upon thousands of years later, still talking about that same man. And Paul tells us that that same man believed in God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And because he believed, we actually spiritually are his children. We actually bear his name. Read how the author, or listen to how the author of Hebrews puts it in Hebrews chapter 11. He said that by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out of a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. And catch this. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And we think to ourselves, okay, well, that's great. But how do I get that city? Glad you asked, right? Interesting thing that you find out some of the Old Testament sacrificial laws in the Old Testament is that once a year, the high priest would take an animal, a scapegoat, to sacrifice on behalf of all the people. And you know where he took that goat? He took it outside of the city. Because that's what sin deserved. Sin deserved to be cast out from the midst of the people. He would take that animal out outside of the city and he would sacrifice it on behalf of the people. So it is no coincidence, by the way, that Jesus was killed on a hill outside of the city. The author of Hebrews in chapter 13 puts it this way. So Jesus also suffered outside of the gate in order to sanctify the people through His own blood. Therefore, let us go to Him outside of the camp and bear the reproach that He endured. For here, we have no lasting city But we seek the city that is to come. You see how this theme just keeps repeating itself throughout the Bible. Anyone, what we're being told throughout the New Testament is that anyone who would be their own savior will find themselves eventually forever outside of the city. Cast out. But we're also told that Jesus came and Jesus was crucified outside the city. He left the heavenly city and came to our city and he was killed outside of it. He lost it. He lost the city. Why? So that we could become citizens of the city to come. And again, so it's no coincidence that in Revelation chapter 22, when you read about the heavenly city and you read about the people that dwell there, we read there that they have a name. We read there that they have his name written on their foreheads. That is the city where you get a name, is what we're told. That when you believe in Jesus, when you believe in His work, when you believe in His building, in His kingdom, in His city, that's when you get your name. And here's the thing, if that city, if it's that city... The eternal city. If that's where you get your name, the interesting thing is, what that tells you is you can make it anywhere. That means that you can even make it at a place like this. 
No matter how lost, no matter how confused, how disappointed, how sad you found yourself in this thing called college. If you find your name there, you can make it anywhere even here. Even in a place where the entirety of your existence, I don't, maybe I'm stressing you out by reminding you of this, but you realize you're, as a student at a place like this, your entire existence is defined by how you measure up. At the end of four years or however long it takes, that's your name, is how you measure up your performance. And the entirety of your hope is figured, fixed on that. But, if, but because you get your name from that city, it actually says that you can be a city builder as well. I'll end with this. The book of Jeremiah uh, is a long prophetic book, but one of the interesting things about Jeremiah's ministry as a prophet is that he was called to be a prophet to Israel and specifically to Jerusalem right before God's great judgment through Babylon. And you know what Babylon did? They came to Jerusalem and they utterly destroyed it. Every single bit. Even the temple. And one of the things prophesied uh, that indeed happened that in, in that exile, Jeremiah comes to a people finding themselves in a strange land, in a strange city, surrounded by proud and haughty people that had taken them captive and destroyed their city. Not just destroyed their city, but had destroyed the city of God. And listen to what God says to those captives in Jeremiah 29. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease. Catch this. But seek the welfare of the city. Where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord for it on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. How could that be? It goes on a few verses later. And come to find out this isn't about a football game or what job you'll get after college. For I know the plans that I have for you. Declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. So I just leave you with this thought. What kind of people would we be if we believe that? If we truly believe that this world and this life or this time in college or whatever, it wasn't about my name, it wasn't about my welfare. What about my plans? Or God's plans for me? But what if it was about the city? A people. The whole world. And God knows exactly what he's doing and how he's going to do it. Again, it is no coincidence that in Revelation chapter 1, after the marriage supper of the Lamb... John is told, come with me and I will show you the bride of the Lamb. You remember what happens next? So I turned to look and behold, a city, New Jerusalem, coming down from heaven. We are the city. We are the city of our God, the city with foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And it's in Him 
that we get a name. What if that was true? What would it mean? What would we be? Let's pray. Father, we long for the safety, for the security, for the peace, for the harmony of the city with foundations. Father, would you remind us that Zion, the city of our God, is your city. We are your people. That in that place we will have no need of sun or moon or stars because you yourself will be our light. That there is the tree of life whose leaves are used for the healing of the nations. That there, there is no sickness, no pain, and no death. Would you remind us that this is what you have for us. This is where you lead us. And this is where you use us to build it and to welcome others in. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.